chapter 15. Uh, this morning, I uh, get the chance to cover verses 23 uh, to 33. Okay, so Romans 15, we continue in our series, and we're almost done. We, we got, we're, we're approaching Romans 16, and that's the last chapter. I'm super excited. So uh, verses 23 to 33, uh, let me read it here. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many, many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So if you don't mind, I'd like to pray again. Father, I, I come to you in, uh, in recognition, Lord, that uh, what I'm about to say, um, I've been scared to say. <laughs> and what I'm about to talk about is something that I have not fully understand or wrestled through. But Lord, it is clear from your word this morning, God, that you have calling your church back to a holiness, back to a completeness and fullness of repentance and mercy and, and, and forgiveness. Lord, you, you're calling us back to a place so that we can finish the mission that you have called us to finish. And I am fully aware, God, as I speak these words, that I, I, I speak it with trembling, with um, with incompleteness, and I wished, Lord, that I would know more so that I could share more. But what I have, I give to you, O Holy Spirit. May you speak clearly to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, throughout history, I, I'm a kind of a history guy, and I love history, and at various times, and especially in these momentous occasions, um, there, there, there have been powerful statements that have been uttered that really helped ignite the movement and, and change kind of history, the trajectory of history forever. And I think of uh, examples like Patrick Henry, who stood uh, before the Virginia Convention in 1775, and he said this, give me liberty or give me death. And these passionate words ignited uh, an, a rallying cry for the Revolutionary War. How about Martin Luther? who in April of 1521 stood before the emperor uh, Charles V, who demanded that Martin Luther recant 
and, and, and changed his views and writings on the abuses of the Catholic Church. And so Martin Luther stood before him and said these words, My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And so with these words, right, we, we always remember that he, he, he ignited this, this Protestant Reformation. Perhaps, uh, how about this other Martin Luther? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. On the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, he spoke these famous words, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And with these words, Martin Luther, he called, Martin Luther King called the nation toward repentance and racial reconciliation and this road that we still need to walk on. Uh, perhaps there's no other powerful statement and more history-shaken than, than this one, which was spoken on a mountain on the Sea of Galilee from the risen Jesus to his disciples. And he says this in verse 18 of Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. With these words to church and everyone who called the name of the Lord Jesus and follows him, receive our marching order. And here we are, we're called to go to the nations, and the mission is not completed. And so I think one of the things that, that when we come to these statements, you know, um, we think, like, like what are we going to do with them? They're, they're really, they're inspirational, they belong on t-shirts, we quote them often on our Facebook feed. But what do we do? How do we live? And so I was thinking, is there any other statement that can top that statement? Is there any other statement, right? Well, once, you, once you put Jesus' statement out there, especially among Christians, well, you're not, you're not supposed to top that, right? Well, uh, during one of the sessions, uh, Julie and I were attending a perspective class on world mission. This small Asian-American woman named Colleen Wong, she's from California, she stood up and she was teaching that, that day and she stood up and she said these words, um, we can finish the Great Commission in our lifetime. I, I don't know um, if that, these words stirs you, but, but for me, sitting in that class and I was learning about these, the, the, the movement of Christ, what God is doing in the world, and all the people we have yet to reach, and she stands up and she says that. And she dropped the mic and she left the room. I'm totally kidding, she didn't. Um, she shared, though, that in 1990, when she took the same class, there were over 12,000 people groups that have yet to be reached with the gospel. And 22 years later, in 2012, that number has shrunk to just over 7,000 people groups. And she says, what would happen in the next 22 years? And then she quoted this verse, you guys, Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The finishing of the great mission leads to the end, and it leads to the return of Jesus Christ. And what an incredible thought. And it's this thought that I lay before you, church, because Paul lays it before us. And so I want to say to you that finishing this mission will not be easy. I love how David Platt puts it. He says, these remaining unreached people groups, the 7,000 or so, are unreached for a reason. They are the most difficult. All the easy ones have been taken. He said that to us at Urbana, 2015. But church, that mandate from Christ, that mission to reach the nation and to make disciples remain unchanged. And as of today, like I said, there are over 7,000 people groups that comprises of 3.15 billion people who have yet to hear of the name of Jesus and they live in countries that are closed to the gospel witness and even antagonistic to missionary endeavors. Yet Jesus loves them deeply, and the gospel is just for them as it is for us. And he calls us to continue to go and reach them. And so the title of this message, Finishing the Great Commission, then, then how are we to finish? I think Paul in this passage gives us three must-haves if we are to see God's mission fulfilled in our lifetime. And these needs are really big. And they will seem impossible to achieve, yet without them we cannot finish. We cannot make a dent into this world evangelism that we have called to engage in. So let's go in, in these three things. Number one, to finish the Great Commission, to finish God's mission, we need frontier missionaries. So turn to your neighbor and say, frontier missionaries. Okay, have you ever heard of that phrase before? Okay, so now let me read from verse 19 uh, of, of chapter 15. I'll, I'll leave it up there. So from Jerusalem... All the way around to Illyricum. So Jerusalem, you know where that is. Illyricum is this, uh, the Grecian uh, peninsula area. Okay, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and, I, and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your presence for your company for a while. How many of you guys been to Spain? So lucky. Yeah, I like to go to Spain. Spain's beautiful, right? Back in the ancient world, Spain was the, the, the furthest west you could go until you fall off into the great unknown of the Atlantic Ocean. And so for the ancient world, that if you think about yourself as in Jerusalem, Spain was the end of the earth. 
And so you have to think about what Paul is saying here. He is saying, I am done here on the west. Now I need to go now to the ends of the earth. And that's what he's talking about. And so when we talk about foreign missions, there are two types of missionaries. Two types of missionaries. What they call, number one, they call it the Timothy-type missionaries. And these are the people that go to another land to help run existing ministry and churches. And so in these foreign land that they go to, they already have an established church with elders and deacons and various supporting ministry that will continue to reach that land with the gospel and disciple people there. And so that's what Timothy, uh, that's what Paul did when he sent Timothy to the city of Ephesus to pastor the church there. But then there's this second type of missionaries. They call it the Paul-type missionaries. And these are the frontier missionaries. And Paul himself says in verse 19 of Romans 15, he says, I have fully proclaimed, actually verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And so frontier missionaries, these are the crazy types, I call them. These are brothers and sisters whose ambition it is to go to places where the name of Jesus has never been mentioned or heard or proclaimed or even desired. And they go to these places at great risk to themselves, to their lives, and to their families. They have this holy ambition to reach the unengaged, and the unreached. And now both types of missionaries are needed. But if we are to finish the mission and make a dent into the 7,000 plus people groups that have yet to be reached, we need to raise up and call forth frontier Paul type missionaries. Now you may be thinking, well, do you know any Paul type missionaries? You guys know any? You guys know any Paul type missionaries? People who go out in the frontiers, right out into the front lines? Well, if you don't, let me invite you on the last Sunday of this month, April 29th, our sister Iris Wan will be here to share in all three services. And I want you to know that to me, she is my frontier missionary. She is on, always on her way to the edge of these places, and she's, she's feeling the call of God. And so I hope you come. I hope you come and hear how, what is she is doing and what God is calling us to uh, partner with her in. And so I hope you be here. At least get to know at least one frontier missionary. Now, I realize that um, raising and sending frontier missionaries will not be easy. In a land like ours, with all the comforts and distractions and ambition, how many will actually leave everything and go to the nations? How many will actually leave the comfort of this land and go to a land where there's less comfort and danger? And I think, you know, I think of the students in, in Challengers. I think of the students in New Life. And I wonder how many of them are God is calling to go. How many of them is God calling to go? Will any of them love God enough to leave everything behind? Will any of them love God enough to leave everything behind? Will their parents, will their families allow them to pursue such a risky endeavor? 
you who have kids, would you actually pray the prayer, God, if you send them to a dangerous nation, I will support them? Or will you try to talk them out of it and stay here? That's an incredible statement. And I know how hard that is because I ask this question of myself. Will we be able as a church to let them go after having trained them and poured out our resources and time and energy? Will we dare to lay hands on people and send them to a dangerous country not knowing if we will see them again in this life? Does any one of us pray toward this end? And I know, I know, this is heavy, this is hard, and I don't want to be dramatic or anything like that, but the reality of it is if we are serious about God's mission, accomplishing the mission of God, then we need to be willing to send and to train and to go to these places that are darkest. I don't know how else it's going to get done. So for Paul and the first century believers, Spain, like I said, was the end of the known world. And so it represented the ends of the earth. And no one knew what was out there. There's been studies uh, on whether or not Paul ever reached Spain. Um, but then in Cle uh, Clement, who's a, written, written something 30 years after Paul's death, he wrote this, this, this one particular letter. And he said that Paul actually made it to the ends of the earth and then went home to be with the Lord. There's an interesting little statement that somewhere along the way that we don't know about Paul, Paul actually reached Spain. He actually went to the ends of the earth, and I love that thought. And so God calls us to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Paul set his heart on Spain through Rome. And so, Lord God, I pray that in these coming years, may you raise up Paul-type missionaries from all your churches, especially here at SCAC. Help us to call your children to this great privilege. Help us to equip them, support them, and send these beloved forth that they might go to the ends of the earth so that your mission might be accomplished in our lifetime. You can do it, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. The second thing. So the first thing, we need frontier missionaries. Right? The second thing is to finish the mission, we need a unified church. We need a unified church. Look at verse 25. Paul's saying that he's going to go to and visit them, but then he stops and he says, now, however, I can't go right now, he says, I am on my way to, to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Archaea were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Now, if you read the book of Acts and all of Paul's letters, you know that he mentions this collection several times. 
And basically, he was uh, trying to get money and, and, and have the churches offer money so that he could bring it to the poor people who were suffering in the church in Jerusalem. And so this gift was very critical and strategic for Paul. One of the biggest struggles in the early church, and you may know this, that they had to face was their relationship between Gentile and Jewish Christians. Some Jewish believers maintain that Gentiles, if you're going to become a Christian, you also have to uphold the Jewish laws and customs. In essence, some, some of them are saying you have to be convert, you have to convert into a Jew and then follow Christ. Of this point, Paul vigorously rejected. And if you uh, turn, if you read it, when you go home, read uh, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council decided, met together and decided, and it's a beautiful decision. They settled this debate by saying, we do not want to add any additional burdens onto the Gentile converts. And so that decision was really powerful for the church. It launched the church to greater growth, but yet that decision did not ease the tension between the Jewish and the Gentile believers. So imagine the churches, right? Just one, just, just not liking the other or, or, or having this tension. And so Paul, uh, he understood this. And so for Paul, he saw the monetary collection and delivery as accomplishing two important critical things. Number one, by giving to the Jerusalem church, the Gentile believers will recognize how much they owe to their Jewish brothers and sisters who risk their lives and limb to bring them the gospel. And the salvation which they now stand was in fact due to the obedience of Jewish brothers and sisters to the Great Commission. And so it's gratitude that's going to connect them and unite them. And secondly, by receiving these gifts, this money from these Gentile churches, the church in Jerusalem will recognize that both church bodies stand on equal ground, that they are brothers and sisters, and that they need each other to survive. And so gratitude will unite them. You see what Paul is hoping and praying for, and he understands that only a united church will be able to work together to finish the Great Commission. Because together, we can send multiple people and be united in this mission that God has called us to send people all over the place to bring the gospel to the darkest of areas. And, say, and, and because they're united, they can display this great message that the risen Christ is indeed alive and love is what kind of cover all of us no matter where we are, where we come from. So I sit there and I think to myself, it's been 2,000 years, you guys, and the commission has not been finished. Why is that? Perhaps, especially here in the West, our churches are deeply divided. You know, I can point to many things that divide us, 
But I think the biggest thing that divides the church, and you may not like to hear this, is the issue of race and racism. And brothers, this week I sat and listened to several messages and sermons on, the, on, on race and racism in the church because this month marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis, 1968. It's 50 years. And so people gathered and began to talk, and I sat there, and I listened, and I listened to these messages. I heard a black preacher cry out to white pastors, how come you didn't stand up for us and speak to the powers that be when we needed you to? When we're looking for allies, all we found were enemies. What a, I sat there, I was like, wow, can you say that? Then I heard a white preacher I heard a white preacher actually ask this. Why is our churches, seminaries, mission organizations, and conferences so white? Did you guys hear that? A white preacher stood, 12,000 people in the audience, and asked this question. Why are all of our organizations so white? And I said, can you say that? I, I, I had to rewind it. You can actually download this. It's forever on the internet. Why is it so white? And then I saw this other white preacher with his southern accent stood up and he actually wept at how long it took for him to understand and repent of his role in avoiding and neglecting racism in his church. And I wonder, you guys, how much of our witness, how much of a witness for Jesus, how much of this great commission that he has called us to, how much of those things have suffered because we have been unwilling and unable to deal with this racial division in our churches and in our community. People don't listen to us because we have nothing to offer. We can't even get along. I'm sorry if that hurts. It hurts me because I am a leader of a church and I haven't done anything. And I thought myself last night, how can we see a hurting world when all around us are walls that we built up between you and me, between us and our community, and between us and God? And I wish I had time to talk about race and racism. I wish I could have time to talk about how we as Asian Americans play a role and benefit from race and racism in our community. I wish I had time. But man, I'm going to tell Pastor Roy, that's his next series, and you can talk about that. How's about that? That's cool, huh? Yeah, let him, get, let him have something difficult for once instead of giving it to me, all right? So, come on, Roy. This is recorded. You heard that. So, I want to do that because 
I want to raise a generation, you guys. There's a generation that wants to do things better. And I hope that there's that desire in you, that our witness, collective witness, will not be hampered by the racism and the weaknesses and mistakes of our forefathers, of my generation. So, Father, have mercy on us, God. Lead us, your church, to repentance for our silence, for our failures to say something, for our unwillingness to do something, for the many ways that we have refused to love our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us for ignoring our history, for maintaining our preferences above biblical mandates, for giving in to fear and ignorance, for looking just like the world. In the days and years ahead, please show us that nothing is so dead that you cannot resurrect, that no walls too big that you cannot tear down, no divide so wide that your cross cannot bridge. Show us how to love those different from us. Give us opportunities with other churches to fellowship, serve, worship, and have hard conversations. Unite us to praise your name that we might fulfill your mission. Amen. Whew. So, so we have two things. We need frontier missionaries, and we need a united church. That's how we're going to finish the mission. And lastly, this not come as a surprise to you to finish the mission. We need fervent and concentrated prayer. We need fervent and concentrated prayer. Look at verse 30 in Romans 15. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I pray, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with all with you all, amen. And so in asking for prayer, Paul highlights a very critical truth that we all are called to share in each other's ministries. And when we pray and intercede for other people, we are in fact doing the critical work of the ministry, whether or not we ever leave this country. See, because prayer, as it proceeds from love, as is born out of the Holy Spirit for each other, what we are in fact doing, we're doing battle for each other, even if we never join them in the field. And so, what are we to pray for? I love how Paul gets specific in his request. And it's very helpful to look at these guidelines as I pray for others. So when you pray for people, whether they're here or on the mission field, start with safety. Start with safety for them and their family. Pray for divine protection over them as they work and serve. Ask God to keep them from sickness, from habitual sin, from discouragements. 
I have a friend that I follow on Facebook, and we had met when we, we went to uh, Uganda. And you know, every, every month he writes, and he writes and posts on Facebook, and he says, oh, man, I got malaria again. So I don't know. I, I, I've, I've lost count how, much, how many times he got malaria. And that malaria is no joke, okay? But he's a Western, he's from Germany, and so therefore I think he has drugs and he just gets over it. But malaria is no joke. To get malaria multiple upon multiple times, that's just the condition of working in Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania, that whole area. And so I pray for safety because he has beautiful kids that they all live with him. And he just, by the way, he adopted two African babies. He's Imagine, awesome, you know? I was just thinking about that, and, and I just praise God for that. I'm like, okay, so let me get this straight. You're a German. You're as, you're as pale as they come, right? And you have two black kids with big afros, and I was like, yes, that's my dream, right? One day to adopt a kid and have him grow up in our household with big afros. And, uh, you know, and I love how beautiful that looks. I love how beautiful that looks. So I pray for safety for him and for his kids because it's tough living there. They get sick so often in the mosquito population. Yeah, and so pray for safety. Safety from sickness, from safe, safety from sin. You know how easy it is for us to fall into sin? It is so easy. So pray for that. Secondly, pray for their work in the field. Like Paul asked, pray that, that when I go to Jerusalem, they would receive this gift, okay? And so pray for their work in the field. Pray for favor and openness and success in all their endeavors. Ask God to bless the work of their hands. And thirdly, perhaps the most important prayer, pray that they will be filled with joy. A joy that gives life and refreshment. A joy that comes from the knowledge of a job that's well done a joy connected and united to a worshipful community. So brothers and sisters, I'm asking you, who are you praying for specifically? Who are you praying for? And are you praying for them at all? See, on my desk at home, I have this picture of, a, of this pastor serving somewhere in, in the country of Laos. You guys know where Laos is, right? Vietnam, okay? You guys know where Vietnam, that's where I'm from, okay? So uh, next to Vietnam on the southern end is Cambodia. On top of Cambodia is Laos, a small country rife with war and, and just have never had any, any peace in, as long as I can remember. Well, he's, he's somewhere walking around these villages and, 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 and serving the churches there, discipling people there. I don't know anything about his ministry. I don't know anything about his family or even his needs. All I have is this color picture of his smiling, smiling face and that he's leading churches somewhere in the villages where there's so much persecution. And I, will, I may never meet him face to face, but as I sit on my desk, I pray for his safety and the work of gospel advancement in his life and the joy of Christ. And so um, I hope that for some of you in your desk, you have a picture of me on it, right? <laughs> right? Just download it on Facebook. Or a picture of Pastor Roy or Pastor Steve or one of the pastors or one of the missionaries. What an honor it is for me to know that you're praying for, for me. Um, 
would you do me a favor? If you are, would you just email me sometime this week and say, man, Tongue, I've been praying for you. I, I don't know if you guys know a guy named uh, Dr. Ephraim Cam. Ephraim was my uh, college uh, counselor when I was in Cornelia, back in the days. He's the one that was responsible for helping to disciple me in my early days of the faith. And every time he shows up to visit, he says, Tongue, I'm still praying for you. I'm still praying for you every day. Sorry, I'm tired, so I'm extra emotional. I'm still praying for you every day. And, and you know what? <laughs> some days I get lonely, and some days I wonder if I'm doing anything right. So today, Paul's greatest ambition was to finish this mission that Christ has called him to. And so he set his sight on Spain, willing to go to the ends of the earth, but he knows that he needs to be sent by a unified church, and he calls on the people to fervent and concentrated prayer. And so church today, the mission and mandate of Jesus Christ remains the same. There are over three billion people who are unreached and unengaged with the gospel. Unreached and unengaged basically means this, that a person in that community can be born and live their entire life and go to eternity without once hearing the name of Jesus or meeting a Christian witness. That's what it means to be unengaged and unreached. And so if we are to finish the Great Commission in our, life, our lifetime, it's going to require much sacrifice. So let me leave you with two statements, uh, with a statement, two questions, and then an invitation. And I'm almost done. Here, are the, here is the statement. Brothers and sisters, if you can't go, send. If you can't go, send. And if you can't send, mobilize. And I would add to this, in all these actions, pray like crazy. So make it a point, brothers and sisters, let me invite you to be active in any or all of these areas. We need you to take part in this mission. So if you cannot go, work really hard, make lots of money, okay? Make lots of money, go out there, make lots of money from Google and, and from Microsoft, and then send people. Send people, support missionaries, okay? And if you can't, like some of us, can't make that much money, so we're minimum wage people. Well, if you can't send, then mobilize. Work with us. Call people out into the mission field. Equip them. Encourage them. Speak that into them. And pray at all times. And consider this question on your outline. How can you leverage your skills, resources, time, and prayer to bring God's kingdom to the unreached? What can you do and what will you do to help finish the mission? Spend time with these questions this week and be intentional in the days to come. How will you live your life to make this happen? What can you do to leverage your skills? And finally, the invitation. The landscape of mission has changed. And many unreached and unengaged people groups live in countries that are close to the gospel and traditional missionary methods. These countries are hostile to the gospel. 
And they can only be entered to what people are now called creative access means. And that means that if you have certain skills, skills in field like medicine, in technology, in teaching, in engineering, etc., they will welcome you to come to work in their country. And so mission agencies have been mobilizing to send people through this creative access method. And so this December, from uh, December 27th to 31, an Urbana Mission Conference is happening in St. Louis. Julie and I went to 2015, and we're going to try to bring a team here in 2018. This is the largest mission conference in North America, and hundreds of missionaries and mission agencies will converge, and all the attendees. Last time we were in 2015, we had about 16,000 people. That's a lot of people. And I always thought that this, this Urbana was just for college-age students. And as, I, as Julie and I were there, we were looking around, and it was like, wow, there's a lot of more older folks. Because of this creative access, we have the skills that can enter certain countries that most students cannot in traditional means. So what you pray and what you consider going with us, you will get a glimpse of what God is doing in this world and what he is calling us to be. And we get to meet some incredible people and hear some incredible stories. And, and, and do me a favor. If you say, I want to go, get ready to get your life just rocked, okay? Just, it'll, it'll just mess you up, okay? And so you're just going to come home, and you're just going to cry for no reason. And I will join you. This is the great commission of God. It's the passion of my heart to see our church mobilize and send and, and, and continue to go to the nation. So would you consider that? And consider that an invitation in days ahead. So thank you for hearing these words and hearing the words of Paul because he calls us to keep our hearts on the mission, to be united and to be a prayerful people so that we might finish this mission that God has called us 2,000 years ago in our lifetime. Wouldn't it be great that the last gospel group that we reach and, the, and Jesus would return? What an incredible privilege it is. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for, for, the, for the gift and the invitation that you have sent. God, the great commission remains for us the central reason why we exist. You called us to make disciples of all the nations. You said, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the, the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that mission remains for us. And so, God, whatever we may be doing here, let, we, let us not forget. Let us work hard to be united that we might be about your mission that we might be about finishing this task you have set before us. God, let us be the generation. Let us be the generation that can say, we finish what you have called us to do. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise, and our knees will bow that day 
when you return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise, let's sing together.